There's a box out there in the world, a puzzle box that seems unassuming and innocent. But if you find this box and take it upon yourself to solve it, you will open a doorway into a dark dimension, a dimension where pain is pleasure and demons are angels. The guardians of this dimension are the Cenobites, led by the sadistic Pinhead. Only one man has ever escaped the Cenobites, an evil son of a bitch named Frank Cotton. Frank's diabolical plan to take over his brother's life and escape the Cenobites for good is the subject of today's episode, Clive Barker's 1987 horror cult classic, Hellraiser. I'm Connor Izagari. And I'm Austin Johnson. And this is a very special S&M edition of Filmgasm. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Today we're doing a film I had little interest in revisiting, but I'm very glad I did. It's considered one of the big horror franchises in that there are 10 total films in the Hellraiser franchise. Pinhead is one of those iconic horror villains alongside Freddy, Jason, Leatherface, and the like. But I'd argue that Pinhead is definitely the most sadistic of the bunch. I mean, just look, at that, just look at that costume. I've never seen leather look so damn painful. This guy oozes pain. Whew. So before we get into Hellraiser... I got one quick update for you on the rewind. And this updates our 10th episode on disgraced filmmaker Roman Polanski. Ben Affleck has announced that he is developing a biopic about the making of Chinatown and the golden era of mid-70s Hollywood. The film is currently titled The Big Goodbye, and it's based on the book of the same title by Stam Wasson. And I could not be more excited for this. Yeah, man. Uh, isn't this a cool way for Ben Affleck to kind of go one two off of the way back right you know yeah uh great decision making after the shit show that happened with dc no i, I just i still can't totally blame him i don't blame him at all for that. uh for for what happened there with those those films and they just don't kick, take care of their shit that is Zack snyder's fuck up and it's dc's fuck up yeah and and ben affleck is a guy i've always wanted to love and i do love him in certain things yeah but the longevity like in his resume if you look at imdb is not there yeah. It it truly isn't there when you look at it. There's holes in his career of like, what were you doing? He didn't Taking really paychecks. He didn't really come into his own until like 2007, 2008. Yeah, you know, you do you you uh you know direct a film with your brother starring, and then you you do the town. You do you know I think Gone Girl is awesome, yeah. right? Definitely, this past decade he's stepped up to another level, another level, and then got the the Batman thing, and then now he's kind of having to re reshape himself again yeah it's his third chance yeah and, and you know he's he's you know talked a lot about himself and his problems with alcohol or whatever it may be and i love when a guy's out there and up front about how he's trying to change yeah and to take on something like this where if you you know if you've been listening with us you know for some time thank you and you know that we love chinatown yes and that we don't love roman polanski but we love some of his work and yes. chinatown might be his best movie you know uh, rosemary's baby and that i think just so exciting to see something like Ben, someone like Ben Affleck, ambitious, go after something like this. Now, I do think some listeners might think that, wait a minute, y'all just talked about Sarah Paulson being in that, you know, One Flew the Cuckoo's Nest show. That's different because it's a fucking show that nobody needs. <laughs> this is really interesting because of Roman Plansky. Well, here's the thing. Ben Affleck isn't remaking Chinatown. No, no he's no, making no. a movie about the development the, the of making, Chinatown yes. and the, that era of Hollywood yes. and how it responded to a man like Roman Polanski and the budding like superstardom of Jack Nicholson. Mm -hmm. So that is a very intriguing story. Um, yes. Affleck's been there in the past with like Hollywood Land, which was the story of George Reeves. So stories about Hollywood, I think, are fascinating. Yeah, and like. Prequel remakes of TV shows, I mean, of movies, aren't necessary. I, yeah. I stand by that big time. <laughs> I, I just think some people might, who just take that from a surface level, yeah. might be like, wait a minute. But no, 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 they're completely different things. Yeah. Completely different. Let this it be is, One thing's very ambitious mm -hmm. and very interesting, Yeah, and the other thing is just kind of pointless to me. I agree, 100%. Yeah. I, I can't wait. I hope it works out. <laughs> I hope that one day we do get to see that movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh... You watched Hellraiser for the first time last fall, right? Yes, yeah, uh, you know, almost a year ago, yeah. Wrote a review for it, mm -hmm. uh, gave it an eight. But it was, you know, it's hard. Hellraiser's hard to talk about because of how how evil and sadistic and dark it is. And the the sexual aspect is 
certainly tough to talk about with people who aren't ready to talk about it. Oh yeah. Or who aren't, you know, have, don't know what you're talking about. Like what's Hellraiser. It's not something you just recommend. <laughs> so for sure, when I watched it, I, I gave it an eight because of that sh- like pure shock value that the audacity, the production design, all of those things are so amazing in Hellraiser. And so I gave it an eight off of just like, it did its job for a horror movie. It freaked me out. And then when I watched it again, I, I would say it's gotten better. The second watch, uh, it freaked me out again. But it also, I, I got it a little bit more. connected with it a little bit more. And I know this time for you, you felt that way. Yes. Weirdly. Like, I... All right. So, to tell that story, I should tell this story. So, I first saw Hellraiser when I was between 12 and 15 years old. I remember it vividly. That's, that's just wrong. I know. I, I like, <laughs> like, re, like, really, you know, Hellraiser... Yeah. Of course, again, film guys and listeners know, we're going to spoil this movie to, to hell when we uh, later in the podcast. Yeah. It, it just is. It's so fucking evil. Yes. You really need to be an adult to watch this. Yeah. I stand by that R rating. 100%. I don't feel that way about a lot of movies. I really don't. I really don't think like 14 year olds should be shunned from like R rated movies. I just don't think it's a big deal. Yeah. But this is like, yeah, you should be an adult to see this. (laughs) Yeah. Clive Barker's that kind of filmmaker, that kind of writer. He has a dark side (laughs) and it, it comes through with his work. I... I didn't know what Hellraiser was. My 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 dad had the double cassette, double the cassette double feature of Hellraiser one and two, and my my parents are big fans. My mom got my dad a replica of the box for one of their anniversaries or for my dad's birthday or something. <laughs> they would rent out Blockbuster's horror uh, section just one at a time. That's what they did, and uh, we my mom and I were at Kmart. Of all places. Do y'all remember that place? Remember Kmart? God damn. And uh, it was around Halloween, and she saw Hellraiser 1 and 2 in a bargain bin. So she bought them. Hell yeah. We went home, and she put on Hellraiser. So my mom, her long-term memory is not great, because she does not remember how fucked up certain movies were. Okay. So I've, I saw a lot of really disturbing movies as a kid. Mostly because she forgot how fucked up they were. And you, you when you're a huge horror fan, yeah. you know, speaking for your mother and myself and you, yeah. you get desensitized. You do. And you, you do. forget, you forget how fucked up some shit is to other people. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so when you recommend, hey, you should check this out. And then they watch it and they're like, Austin, what the fuck did you tell me to watch this for? You know? Oh my God. You know, that, yeah. I, I felt that way last year. I, I recommended to like everyone I knew, The Lighthouse. Oh. And it's like, I just forget. <laughs> just forget. I'm like, this is a masterpiece. And, you know, it's like, not to everybody. <laughs> I, yeah, I get that. Oh, my God. <laughs> but, like, as a kid, you know, aside from Hellraiser, like, I watched The Thing. I watched Jaws. I watched yeah. Signs, The Sixth Sense. Yeah. Like, really freaky shit. This is a, a different kid. level. Yeah, and I don't blame my mom for this because she, she didn't know, frankly. And uh, I, so with Hellraiser, I remember being very confused and uh, not yeah. not following the story very well because uh, that damn hallway monster scared the absolute shit out of me. You know, I think it's called the engineer. That yeah. giant, like eight foot tall mouth creature that chases Kirsty down the hallway. Uh. And I can't blame my mom though because even though it freaked me out and I didn't like it, I decided to stay in the room for Hellraiser two. So that's on me. <laughs> <laughs> that's on me at this point. That's that's on fourteen year old me. Yeah. I own that. Uh, so yeah, this was my first journey back into Hellraiser since then. That, that about half your life. Yeah, yeah. and I, I have you know accumulated the quote unquote horror street cred to uh, you know understand this movie now. Yeah, and I get it. This you, is a classic. You said in your review, you said uh, uh, this is perfect because it's uh, an acquired taste that you've acquired. Apparently, yeah. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> apparently, shit. I, I guess I'm weird. Now. I have more shit to look into now. <laughs> m- m- most certainly, and you know, I think uh, a movie that I thought about when I was rewatching Hellraiser uh, last night, which I. I what time of day should you watch this movie? Jesus Christ, it's so... You should watch this film between 9.30 and 11.30 on Wednesdays. That's what I did. <laughs> I don't, this feels like a nighttime, alone-in-your-house kind of movie. Yeah. You don't put this on in the middle of the day when you've got company. But also not too late. Don't yeah. fuck yourself up too much. Yeah. <laughs> True. Yeah, so so uh, back to, you know, when I was thinking about Hellraiser and watching it, rewatching it, and 
oh man, you know how frightening some things are, but I can't, I literally can't take my eyes off the screen when it's on. It is a gorgeous movie. Yeah. The colors are absolutely brilliant. Practicality, man. That's something we always like to talk about, but I, I went back to Itchy the Killer. Itchy the Killer uses the hooks, uses the torture, uses things that are uh, about pain and pleasure, right? And I fucking dug that movie. First yeah. time, we both dug it. We both thought, oh, this is something different, something out there. So yeah, I totally agree with you. When you get that palette and that kind of like street cred is a great way to put it in in horror. Yeah, you certainly understand stuff more. I I've, I'm still on a journey myself of like understanding different ones. Like it took me a while to really understand what's what like you know slashers are trying to do. Yeah, uh, it took me a while to come around to truly how great Halloween is. So it just it, sometimes it hits, and you know when you're 14. <laughs> I just don't think, yeah, Hellraiser's going to resonate. It's not. <laughs> it's not. Yeah, I, I, I can't say enough, you know, how much this movie blows my mind, but also that you, you should, I just think you should be an adult. I really do. Yeah, for sure. Every year I watch uh, Bravo's 100 Scariest Movie Moments countdown. Yes, so good. I wish they just released that on DVD or do like a, you know, an updated version. But Hellraiser's on that list. And Robert England talks about that movie you can tell he's into some weird shit the way he talks about this movie. But he he brought up the idea that everyone in this movie is in a, quote, sort of sublime pain. Mm-hmm. And I love that term because it perfectly describes this entire movie. Everyone is in sublime pain. They're here. They are in some kind of emotional or physical pain. And it's the only thing driving them. Yeah. It's really weird. Yeah. And... It- and the the house, right? This this house, this vessel that they're in is like constantly recycling their pain. It's tainted. Yeah, it's it, it really is definitely um, a movie worth two watches if you can get through it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I I have friends who who love this movie, uh, and I know you you rewatching it is something that we're gonna talk about. And you, when you're talking about the '80s and horror, I just think you gotta bring up Hellraiser because of its pure audacity it's pure tenacity to to be different oh nobody had even thought of anything like this before it took clive barker's fucked up mind to bring this to screen yeah he wrote and directed this personally because he'd gotten tired of watching people fuck up his work so he's like this is a big one to me i'm taking this one thank you and his vision was translated into this horror masterpiece that still resonates today it's the it's a lot of people think it's the only good one and yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I bet that's true. Just looking through the sequels, Jesus. I, I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to talk about those later on. But uh, yeah, lower your expectations. So Hellraiser is based on the novella The Hellbound Heart by English horror icon Clive Barker, who also wrote and directed the movie. The novella was published in 86 as the third volume of Barker's Night Visions anthology series. Uh, he took it upon himself to direct... Because after 1985's Underworld and 1986's Rawhead Rex, he got tired of watching people fuck his shit up. And along with Candyman, Hellraiser is the story that Clive Barker will always be associated with. Mm-hmm. And uh, have you read any Barker? No. Neither have I, but I've been told to for a very long time. Yeah, uh, you know, we don't talk a bunch about reading. You know, of course, Stephen King, someone has popped up here and there because he's the man. Yeah. But uh, yeah, for, for reading... In my personal, I, I read a lot more just like, uh, like Kurt Vonnegut shit, you know, like, yep. and not, not much horror. I don't read much horror. So, uh, I, yeah, I definitely haven't seeked that stuff out enough, to be honest with you. Yeah, neither have I. Uh, my dad is heavy into Barker. He's got a lot of his books. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's been recommending his stuff to me for a long time. I just haven't really, you know, I'm dedicated to King. Yeah. And I want to finish King's work before I you know, tackle another giant author. Mm-hmm. And that is kind of an ongoing project because every time I read one, he writes two more. Yeah. Oh, Stephen <laughs> King. Yeah. Until that guy leaves this earth, he'll be, you know, just writing for, you know, and then they'll find like a treasure trove of unfinished yes. manuscripts and yeah. they'll just keep, he'll keep going like Tupac. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, so Barker wanted to call the movie, the hellbound heart, obviously, but producers said it sounded too romantic and would have kind of driven people away. Sam Raimi experienced that same thing with Evil Dead. He was going to call it the Book of the Dead, but producers said, no, no teenagers are going to go see a movie about a book. <laughs> oh, my God. So cheekily, Barker decided to choose the title Sadomasochist from Beyond the Grave as a working title. And uh, that didn't work out. So he then wanted to go with Hellbound, 
but producer Christopher Figg suggested Hellraiser because producers always need to have the last word, and it stuck. Mm-hmm. He ended up calling the sequel Hellbound. <laughs> Andrew Robinson was cast as Larry Cotton, kind father and oblivious cuckold who has one of the coldest marriages I've ever seen in a horror movie. Robinson played the bad guy in the first Dirty Harry movie and also appeared in Child's Play 3, Cobra, and he had a recurring role on Star Trek Deep Space Nine as Elam Garrick. And it blew my mind when I found out he was the Scorpio killer from Dirty Harry. I couldn't believe I was like, holy shit. I couldn't even tell. He, no. he was so young and he had the bandage on his nose. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Claire Higgins plays the cold and unfaithful Julia, Larry's wife and Frank's lover. Higgins reprised the role of Julia in Hellbound, Hellraiser 2, and has also appeared in such films as The Golden Compass and Ready Player One. She also had lead roles on such TV shows as The Worst Witch, Into the Badlands, and Silent Witness. And she, is, she has one bit part in Ready Player One, and I couldn't believe it was her. It was in the opening when Wade is going down the, the stacks and he runs into that old woman who's like, what's wrong? Life getting you down? That's fucking Julia. <laughs> Jesus. I always hated that line. I always thought it was super forced. Yeah, yeah, you're like, oh, God, here we go. <laughs> Ashley Lawrence plays Kirsty Cotton, one of the smartest and most resourceful final girls in horror. Lawrence would reprise the role of Kirsty in Hellbound, Hellraiser 2, Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth, and Hellraiser Hellseeker. This is her big thing. And Kirsty is fucking awesome because she, like, she takes charge and, like, you know, wipes him out. It's awesome. I love a strong female character like this who just, like, you know, demons killed my, my family. I'm not sitting down. <laughs> yeah, she's great. I, definitely the second time around, I'm like, all right, Kirsty Cotton, baby. Let's go. She's awesome. <laughs> she's like fucking scream queen. Fuck it. You know, like oh, yeah. you talk about all these people that are, you know, big names. Like She's great in this and 100% essential, right, to the story. So, yeah, she's For great. sure. Sean Chapman and Oliver Smith both play the undead Frank with Chapman playing his human flashback scenes and Smith playing him as a rotting corpse. They would both return to the franchise in Hellraiser 2, and they both had success on the small screen in the UK. Uh, This was an English production, but a lot of the accents are dubbed over after Barker decided to move the production to the States. In case you're wondering why every other character seems to be English in this movie. (laughs) Got a lot of British friends, huh? Robert Hines plays Steve, Kirstie's boyfriend, who apparently doesn't like to ask questions. Hines hasn't done much over the years, apart from the occasional TV appearance, though he did have a bit part in 1994's Frankenstein. And this guy made me laugh the whole time, because he is witnessing horrific shit yeah, yeah. and doesn't say a word. Yeah, no. It's not my problem. Yeah. This, <laughs> this is, is yeah. This is a family matter. I better stay out of this. <laughs> oh, God. More on that. Tur- yeah. Turn the other cheek. More on that Joker later. Then we have Doug Bradley as Pinhead the leader of the Cenobites. In this film, he isn't even called Pinhead in the credits. He's just lead Cenobite. And uh, Pinhead became a nickname that later got adapted into the movies. Barker always thought that was like demeaning to call this great horror icon Pinhead. <laughs> so he called him Priest in novels and comics and stuff. So Bradley and Barker have been good friends since they were in school. And Bradley became the face of Barker's franchise for seven films, until he jumped ship for 2011's Hellraiser Revelations, which he said had an unfinished script and would not be worth his while. So Barker and Bradley have the same relationship that Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell have. Like, I had no idea. Yeah. And that is so cool. Oh, yeah. Isn't that always, that's always great, especially with these, like, you know, like Raimi, like a genre guy, a horror guy. You love seeing those, those duos. Yeah. You get, you know, longevity out of it. Exactly. Hellraiser has an IMDb score of 7.0. Rotten Tomatoes score of 71%. It was a decent success, grossing around $14 million on a budget of only $1 million. It spawned nine sequels, countless comic books, and connected novels, and is one of the most popular horror franchises of all time. And it also put um, S&M into a whole new limelight. <laughs> Suddenly people were okay with coming out of the woodwork and being like, I like leather shit too. Yeah, pain, <laughs> pain is pleasure. They get it. Yeah. God. Oh, boy. (laughs) So let's get into the plot of this thing. Hellraiser. Ooh. (laughs) So we open on the box. The lament configuration. The puzzle. Frank Cotton buys it from an antique antique dealer in this uh, North African town. 
who the hell is this guy who just happens to have the portal to hell in his inventory? Right? Yeah. <laughs> he takes the, the box back to England, solves the puzzle box, and hooked chains immediately fly out of the box and rip him to pieces. Demons called Cenobites appear out of the box to inspect Frank's remains. Pinhead searches among the shreds of flesh and blood and reassembles the pieces of Frank's face. He finds the box, twists it back to its original state, and the room goes empty. It's like it never happened. And if this is your first time watching this movie, you are like, what in the fuck was that? Well, it, yeah, and it, it's, it, it, it might... I'm glad it has that intro because it, it, it get, gets rid of the people who are not going to want to stick around, right? Yeah. You immediately see flesh being torn by, like, hooks. And and these shots, these shots are really, really cool where the chains and the hooks come flying out of, like, nowhere and then hook into hook into the skin and then the, the camera goes real close on that, like, unbelievable makeup and, you know, all that. Your skin stretching, and it's it's either you're either down for it, or, or and you're like, okay, what else is gonna happen? <laughs> or it's not your kind of movie, you know. It's a good intro. It is much like H.E. the Killer, where you're like, are you in or are you out? Like, yeah, it's okay if you're not. <laughs> but we but we need to know. Yeah, <laughs> you're gonna go home. You better go home now. Yes, <laughs> like 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 if this if you're it's 1987, you're seeing this in theaters. I I feel like most certainly there's some people who are like, mm, I think I'm good. <laughs> Could I get my ten dollars back? It know? does not get better. <laughs> it does, yeah. Well, it gets darker for us, you know. We're like, it gets yeah. better for us, not for you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> only weirder. Yeah. yeah. If you only want to have one nightmare, walk away. Yes, that's a good way of putting it. <laughs> and keep in mind, this was Clive Barker's first movie. Yeah. He, His baby. I, uh, back to the uh, Bravo scariest movie moments. Clive Barker talks about how he prepared for this. Mm-hmm. He didn't know how to direct a movie. He didn't know what a lens was. He didn't know how this worked. So we went to his library to check to uh, check out a book on movie directing, and he he looked and they were two books and they were both checked out. So he's like, "Oh shit! I I don't even. How am I going to do this? I don't even have a book." <laughs> I love that he he wanted to be so prepared. Where nowadays people are just like, "Give me an iPhone and I'll make a fucking movie." <laughs> uh, I, I don't even have a book. <laughs> I don't even have the directing for dummies. Like, <laughs> shit. What oh. am I going to do? And and you can see it sometimes. There's shot that I just point out. Some of those hard cuts are like, that's weird. Yeah. That's an odd transition. But it's effective. It's effective. It's a very abrupt filmmaking. And I like it. I definitely like it. It's like you said, it's a, a taste we've acquired. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> we never could have started the podcast with Hellraiser. Like, this is something you have to build up to, up to you know? You got to yeah. do 90 episodes before you tackle Hellraiser. <laughs> yeah, agreed. <laughs> agreed. Ugh. So then we go to Frank's brother, Larry, who's moving into Frank's abandoned house with his second wife, Julia, and um, her stepdaughter, Kirsty, who's mm-hmm. kind of living near them. She, Kirsty and Julia have uh, problems. It's never really made clear what those problems are. I think Julia's just kind of a bitch. <laughs> and uh, Julia, by the way, was uh, sleeping with Frank. They had a very torrid affair that started on her fucking wedding day. <laughs> Class act. The house is a complete mess. There's rotting food in the kitchen. Barker really went overboard on his maggot budget. Yeah, no Ugh. kidding. And they both just assume Frank's on some, you know, adventure. He's, you know, he's, in, he's a wild and crazy guy. You know, he, you can't tie Frank down. He does whatever he wants. So they don't question the fact that this house is clearly abandoned. Why they're buying Frank's house is beyond me. <laughs> or why they bought it without looking into it first. Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> Didn't you want to know what the rooms looked like? I don't care whose house it, I'm buying it. I don't care who I'm buying it from. I walk in and there's maggots in the kitchen. I'm not signing that contract. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Ugh. You're not alone. Yeah, so Larry's teenage daughter, Kirsty, chooses not to live with, their, with her stepmom, moves into her own place, and... Uh, they're moving a mattress. The mattress guys hit on Kirsty, <laughs> very creepily. Yes. Larry's moving the mattress, and uh, Julia finds pictures of Frank. Starts remembering, starts kind of reminiscing about their affair, very graphically. Uh, Barker had to cut some of that stuff to avoid an NC-17 rating. <laughs> I was reading on the trivia. He said Jesus, that uh, if that's what they told him that that he was allowed to have two thrusts. In that flashback, three thrusts would have been obscene, but two was fine. <laughs> that's 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 Keen Peel. 
Remember? You remember that Keen Peel sketch, the touchdown? Oh. If you do three. Oh, yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> he throws the flag if he does the third one. That's that's fantastic. <laughs> oh, my God. That must be a producer thing. Like, if that if that is what pushed it, over the, and all the shit that happens in this movie, and that, I mean, it's very graphic and, you know, pornographic. Yeah. But really, compared to the rest of the movie, I mean, you know, it should have a rating of just beware. Like, this is dark. It, it has always been that way. Like, the MPAA has always been like, you can rip apart as many people yeah, as you want, but, but you show tits in a PG-13 movie, and we're going we're gonna to get yeah. you. R. It's really fucked up. Yeah. We need, like, they don't, you know, the MPAA needs to resort the priorities, because that's the horrific shit in this movie, not the brief sex flashback. <laughs> yeah, you don't, you honestly don't remember that too much as the movie goes along. You You're don't. Like, who the hell's walking away from this being like, well, I liked it until the flashback. <laughs> I didn't need those two thrusts. God, that was obscene. Frank was a real dick, wasn't he? <laughs> but I loved when that guy got ripped to pieces. That's That was great. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, God. Hilarious. So Larry cuts his hand on a nail when he's moving this mattress, and it's it's grisly. You know it's coming, and you know that just getting under the skin, just ripping it open like that. A lot of skin gets stretched in this movie. It's it's a it's a and, vicious scene. And Barker, who like you said, is not a director. Yeah, is just fucking filming it. Yeah, he's just like on it, point you know, right in front of it. And that's just what it, that that's effective. You know, again, it's just abrupt. I'm glad he had a good editor and a good cinematographer because mm-hmm. otherwise, this could have been a fucking mess. Yeah, yeah, oh. for sure. Ste- definitely steady hands there. Because <laughs> the director's job really is film everything. Yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> and then you know. The editor works it into a narrative. Yeah, has to go into the room by themselves for hours at a time. It doesn't get any credit. (laughs) (laughs) Very rarely. I can only imagine what editing this movie must have been like. Well, yeah, you know, because I'm sure it was a lot of close-ups of skin being pulled and and stuff like that. So you're just like constantly just sorting through like, oh, here's just more (laughs) (laughs) close-ups. Got to make this look nice. (laughs) So Larry, after cutting his hand, goes upstairs to the room where Julia is, who's not helping. In fact, he... (laughs) <laughs> like Larry, like you know, asked the movers. Like the movers want beer, so Larry's like, "Hey, let's go get him a beer." And Julie's like, stares at him. And he's There's like, some in the fridge. Yeah, I'll get it. Fine. I'm, I've got nothing better to do. Oh God, that's like a fucking you know Walter White and, and Skylar White scene where you're like, Ugh. it's such a great way to hate her because only assholes do things like that. Yeah, they're in the fridge. Yeah. Oh. Not, not like I'm holding a stupid-ass mattress. Yeah. <laughs> so Julie's just kind of hanging out in this room, and Larry's like, I hurt my arm, <laughs> and comes in there and bleeds all over the floor, and the blood seeps into the floor. It's a great effect. Yes. And she's like, oh, I think we have some gauze or something. How could you do this to me? <laughs> that kind of tone. How could you rip your hand in my house? Ugh. It's that vibe. Ugh. <laughs> Ugh. Frank's minimal remains are under the floorboards. What was left of Frank is in the floor. And the blood reconstitutes him a little bit. Why? (laughs) And um, (laughs) Julia takes Larry to the ER to have his hand stitched. And uh, Frank's body bursts out, shrieks in pain, and he starts to regenerate a little bit. Later, Julia stumbles into Frank alone in the room. And she freaks out, understandably, until he's like, Hey... It's Frank. <laughs> Which would freak me out <laughs> even more. And she's like, darling, oh my God. Oh, God. <laughs> what can I do to help you, my darling? And he's like, kill. <laughs> it's just vicious. Yeah. It's disgusting. <laughs> kill the spare. <laughs> he just feels like this pile of meat. Ugh. But he's, for some reason, she feels some connection. Like, I need to help him. For some reason, I like the movie up to this point. <laughs> it's so weird, but so good. Yeah, it's this, like, ugh, this yeah. vicious little thing. It's me. And she's just like, nobody fucked me like Frank. I better help him. I guarantee you that's it. <laughs> There's no emotional connection here at all. Oh, I gotta regenerate. <laughs> oh. oh, man. So Julia... Decides she's going to lure men into the house and kill them. And Frank's going to eat their bodies, pretty much. As you would. And, yeah. 
This is her day now. This is Hellraiser, yeah. <laughs> I think she's fucking them first, because I, I don't. I think Julia's just a horrible person. The first guy she gets, though, is uh, kind of a shit. Yeah. He, th- he almost rapes her. Yeah. And uh, he kind of had it coming. <laughs> yeah, nobody, nobody's feeling bad over that guy. No, no. <laughs> so as these guys are killed and Frank kind of sucks out their juices... He starts becoming more of a person. Pretty soon he's just a skinless human being. Mm-hmm. And he brings out this box and explains that by coming back, he violated his deal with the Cenobites, escaped them, and now they are hunting him. And it is very important that he is fully restored so he can run off with Julia before the Cenobites finally track him down. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, he will know a hell that very few before him have known. Yeah. <laughs> As nobody escapes these motherfuckers. <laughs> But I love the build-up to these guys. Like they're the oh. wardens of hell. <laughs> like, it, yeah. Well, yeah. You know, I, I've I definitely love the idea of like messengers from the most evil place possible coming yeah. to coming to snatch you. Like, yeah. Oof, that is. Frightening. I think if hell is real, then Clive Barker captured it better than anybody. I think this is what hell looks like. Most certainly, right? <laughs> yeah. Most certainly. Chains and pain. Yeah. God. And, yeah, and, and that, that no escape type, you know, yeah. just mental, yeah, mind fuckery. Oh, yeah. So Kirsty, who already hates Julia, eventually sees Julia bring a strange guy home. She sneaks into the house to investigate this. He's like, is, he, is she cheating on my, on my dad? That bitch. And in the attic, Julia beats the man half to death along with Frank to feast. Kirsty approaches the attic, not knowing what's going on there. And the bloody man stumbles out of the attic. His face is half melted, and he's like, help me. And she's like, the fuck? And backs off, understandably. And then she sees skinless Frank, who grabs her and puts her in the, in the attic, and is like, hey, it's Uncle Frank. It's okay. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. If some dude comes to you with no skin, nothing and, is okay. And says, <laughs> they're your uncle? Come no. to daddy. Yeah. <laughs> It's okay. Jesus Christ, Frank. God. You know, it blew my mind that Pinhead is not really the bad guy of this movie. Yeah, I know. It's weird. <laughs> the people from hell, yeah, or not. They're not the bad guys. <laughs> they're taking care of business. Yeah, they're just doing their job. Yeah. As far as we're concerned, right. <laughs> they're just doing their they're doing their job pretty well, you know? Yeah, they're yeah. tracking motherfuckers down. One escapee in, you know, a millennia, that's that's a pretty good record. <laughs> Damn straight. I that's a Awesome percentage. Yeah. Know? I mean, they're not batting a thousand anymore, but they're there. Yeah. Yeah. Just <laughs> almost perfect. Ugh. So before Frank can grab her, Kirsty picks up the puzzle box as a weapon, and he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Put that down. Let's talk. Yeah. I don't know what that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she's like, you want the box? You want it? Go get it. <laughs> Chucks it out the window, and he's like, ah! She runs, runs out the front door, grabs the box, and takes off. Yes. And she has a lot of questions. Uh. <laughs> What's in the box? What's in the box? <laughs> so she's disoriented. She passes out. She wakes up in a hospital where the doctor is very uh, edgy. He's like, oh, well, the police are going to want to talk to you. Why? <laughs> she didn't pass out at her house. She passed out on the street with a box. That's not a crime. <laughs> I don't know. I think something was up with that doctor. <laughs> There's something up with everybody in this movie. Everyone is fucked up. <laughs> living, what you, yeah, they're living in their own, you know? Yeah. Their own pain. They all have problems. Yeah. Some have bigger problems than others. Some have hell-type problems. Yeah. Yeah. Some, you know, have a shitty stepmom. Some have the demons of hell in their ass. You never know. We've all got our own story. <laughs> um, so in the hospital, she can't, you know, the door's locked. She needs to pass the time, so she starts, you know, playing with this box. And she opens it, and suddenly the wall opens up. And instead of being like, I'm going to close this, she's like, well, I better go check that out, as you do. And she walks down this hallway, and this giant fucking meat monster comes out of nowhere and starts chasing her. As a kid, nightmare fuel. (laughs) Fuck it. As 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 an adult, as a goddamn man... Who has who has a fucking daughter? That shit that shit terrifies me. 
Oh, man. Now you have an irrational fear that one day your daughter's going to stumble on a demonic puzzle box and open a door with a hell. Yeah, you know, yeah, you know, definitely not going to, uh, I'm going to wait until Willow is in her adult years to ever speak of Hellraiser in front of her. This is not a movie I, I will ever push. Boy. <laughs> My lord. So she's running away from this giant monster, and it's just like, blah, 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 like mouth, mouth going, Ugh. got like sharp teeth. I can't describe this thing. Google no. it. Yeah, there's yes. no way for me to explain what the fuck this thing is. <laughs> it's ugh. weird noises. Yeah, yeah. It's like a dinosaur melted. <laughs> That's a good way. Of, yeah, yeah. Or, or you know the like you know you oogie boogie man. You just evil. Yeah, it's evil. <laughs> it's pure evil. Yeah, actually, like there to there to fuck you up. Yeah, and she jumps through the wall, and suddenly the wall's back. Yes, and it's but she still hears this thing behind the wall, and she thinks she's safe. But then she starts seeing lights coming out of the walls, and who shows up? The goddamn Cenobites. Here we go. And this scene is done so well. It's just mm-hmm. the build up, the lights, one by one they show up. There's that guy who's just like you know with yeah. the teeth, a chatterer. I think he's called. Yeah. So Real in Hellraiser 2, by the way, that's a nine-year-old. Yeah. They all turn into their human forms in part two, and like he's a kid. Pinhead's a, a soldier. Uh the lady, I don't remember what the lady and the fat guy are, but it's weird. That is so bizarre. Because there's like a new Cenobite who like wipes them all out and takes over hell. It's a weird movie. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Pinhead's the good guy of part two. Yeah, yeah. It's Fucking like, Pinhead. <laughs> Ugh. So their leader. Pinhead shows up and is like, hey, you rang? <laughs> She's like, no. And they're like, yeah, you did. You're, you're right here. I see it. <laughs> so good. <laughs> I wish they were like that. Just like, oh, God, I was this was my day. What do you want? <laughs> I was yeah, not supposed to come in. Like, God damn it. The new episode of, yeah, <laughs> you know, their, their, their TV show is supposed to come on. We're missing Antiques Roadshow. Yeah. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> No, basically, he's just like, well, you opened it, so you're coming to hell. And she's like, what? yeah. <laughs> what's going on? It's like Chris Farley on Saturday Night Live. I asked to come to a game show, not to be on a game show. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. You could edit those together so well. <laughs> Godzilla? Don't they? <laughs> Call the American Embassy. <laughs> God damn it. Um, so she puts this together pretty quickly that Frank is connected to these guys. Yeah. And she's like, hey, hey, I know where you did this to Frank, right? Yeah, can like, I get a pass? If yeah. I- they're like, how do you know Frank? And she's like, he's my uncle. He's an asshole. He's I, right I'll, up there. Yeah. I'll give him to you. And they're like, well, maybe. Uh, uh, let me call the devil and see if we make an I exception. Don't, I don't know about that. We don't. It's not in the book. <laughs> Uh, typically, uh, we have a he, certain way of doing things here. He is the only escapee in history. <laughs> Maybe, you know, they probably don't want that on their record. Yeah. Hmm. They're actually kind of agreeable. Like, well, let's see what we can do. Yeah. What else could you throw into the mix? Give me a day. <laughs> Go get Frank. And they leave. Yeah. And she's just like, whew. <laughs> Big day. A lot of shit has happened today. Yeah. yeah. No kidding. <laughs> Her stepmom's cheating on her dad with her undead uncle. Demons are real, and they came out of this box. She got chased in a hallway by giant meat monster dinosaur thing. Whew. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. a full life. Yeah. <laughs> no kidding. So now she's like, all right, let's go get Frank. She's actually, like, she's proactive about this. I love that. And uh, she goes home, finds her dad, and is like, Frank's upstairs. And dad's like, I know, I know. Took care of it. It's fine. He is clearly wearing a stapled face, and she never brings this up. He is bleeding around his entire hairline. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> I couldn't believe. I was like, "Is somebody gonna mention this?" The dude is is rotting right now, <laughs> and he's way too calm. I guess just like us, these characters are desensitized. I guess. Well, that should happen to me in one day. I'd I'd have. Pretty new outlook on life, too. <laughs> I would be thinking about a lot less things. <laughs> Just survival. Yeah. My God. So, uh, Kirsty insists, like, if, if Frank's dead, I need to see him. 
And Larry, well, quote unquote, Larry yeah. turns to Julia and is like, show her the body. So Julia takes Kirsty upstairs to see this rotten, skinless corpse in the attic. And she's like, shit, he's dead. <laughs> now what? And the Cenobites show up and are like, hey, we want the guy who did this. And she's like, you can't have my dad. And runs out before Pinhead could have been like, no, 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 no. That's your dad. We want Frank. That's Frank. Like, if he just talked a little faster, they could have worked this yes, out. Yes, yes. <laughs> I know we're really kind of like making this seem goofier than it actually is. It's a defense mechanism because this movie's really fucked up. Oh, yeah. And, and you, you, yeah, and you know, when it's on, it's on and you shut up and you, you know. But yeah, talking about it is hard because it is so crazy. Yeah. It's so, like, fanciful and nuts. that, And I'm not going to try to do Pinhead's voice, because I can't. No. I can't talk that deep. No. My God. Good Lord, no. <laughs> yeah, fortunately, Barry White's not here to replicate that voice for us. So we're going to have to make do with a little paraphrasing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I just think Space Jam, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Kersey's running through the house, realizes after, Fra- after uh, Larry outstretches his arms and goes, come to daddy. Chrissy's like, oh shit, that's Frank. You killed my father. And uh, Frank comes after her, accidentally stabbing Julia, like violently in the process. And it's just like, well, sorry. And throws her down the stairs after draining her. And uh, he goes up to the attic where Kirstie's hiding. Kirstie's crying over her father. Yep. Frank reveals to Kirstie that her father has been dead for years. He was dead long before I showed up. Oh, what an asshole. Yeah. And uh, he then says, like, I, Frank Cotton, am going to kill you. And the Cenobites are like, that's all we needed. <laughs> they come out like, like a cop with a recorder. Mm-hmm. Like, gotcha. <laughs> Cuff me very much. Yeah. We needed to hear it from him. And they grab just hundreds of chains, come out of nowhere, and just grab every inch of Frank's body. Kirsty runs for the hallway Turns back one last time to see Frank, his like body just stretched, and he just smiles and goes, Jesus wept, and explodes. Holy fuck, man. Oh, God. <laughs> how do you, like, how do you just accept that <laughs> into your mind? Like, I just watched that. And heard that, you know? Yeah, all, <sighs> all, all of it. And, and, yeah, man, you, as that starts building up and you, you, you hear... Frank, we can all be happy here. And you're like, this guy needs to die. I think Andrew Robinson does not get enough credit for his performance. No. As both Larry and his brief turn as Frank here. Yes. yes. Well done. 100%, yeah. Oof. I, I, I really walked away here, yeah, thinking, oh, this movie fucked me up the first time, and then it fucked me up again, and the performances are good, and this is a really unique, insane story. Yeah. If I had a million years, I could never come up with something like this. No. No. <laughs> So Kirstie's running through the house, kind of, you know, eager to get away from these, but the Cenobites come out again and are like, hey, you still opened the box. Yeah. I, I said Funny. maybe. Yeah. <laughs> we had never, we never shook on it. Yeah. The chatterer comes out and like corners her and uh, Pinhead comes out from behind her and says my favorite line in the movie. We have such sights to show you. It's so fucked up. It's such a terrifying thing to hear. <laughs> Love it. God. And she gets a hold of the box. Um, she finds it clutched in Julia's hands. Julia's in a bedroom somewhere. And she be, being Julia. Being Julia. Being unhelpful, as always. <laughs> and <laughs> Sucking it up. Yep. She grabs the box, starts twisting it closed, and Pinhead's like, no, don't, don't do that. <laughs> don't you do that. <laughs> and, I mean, he's got control over chains. He can't just kind of... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, don't stop. And she uses the, the box to banish them back to hell. She's like, you know, ah, yellow light. And they all kind of like, ah. It's not very clear. Yeah. <laughs> and it's kind of the fuzziest part of the movie. Uh-huh. But it's, I, I, I like it. It's satisfying. Yeah. She gets, Steve shows up and is like, hey, are you in trouble? And she's like, no time. Fuck off. We're getting out of here. You suck. And they're, they, they walk out the front door and that fucking monster comes back. And like starts like kind of wrestling her for the box. And she's like, just go. Get the fuck! Like she's not even afraid of it I'm anymore. I'm done. She's angry now. Yeah. She gets a hold of the box. She blasts it with yellow light, and it disappears. And Steve's just there watching this, and like, whoa. it's just like, dude, doesn't even say a word. Yeah, still, 
still speechless, no matter what's happening. <laughs> they walk outside. There's a fire. And she just chucks the box into the fire. It's like, that's going to work. <laughs> this thing was forged in the fires of hell. A bonfire ain't going to stop this thing. And some vagrant who's been kind of following her the whole movie walks over to the fire, grabs the box, and Alan Moore turns into the fucking, yeah. like, skeleton wing bird. And again, Steve's just like, it's the weirdest Wednesday of my life. Yeah. Oh, man, I just wasn't ready for this. <laughs> I just wanted to get laid. Yeah, I thought, I thought we were going to go get something to eat. I'm not in, this is not, <laughs> what is going on? Kirsty. <laughs> the box t- flies away. Kirsty and Steve are just kind of left to their own devices. The box ends up back in the hands of the merchant at the beginning of the movie who is selling it to somebody else. What is your pleasure, sir? And then, bam, Hellraiser. <laughs> Credits. Holy shit, folks. Very, very tight and very weird hour and a half of yeah. extreme entertainment. It's only an hour and a half. Like it, they, he packs a, a lot into that hour and a half. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. My God. My God. So let's talk some filmgasm facts. A lot of cool trivia about this movie. Number one, during a post-production party when filming had ended, Doug Bradley was a little dismayed to be ignored by the other members of the crew. He thought he had gotten on rather well with the cast and crew, and it wasn't until later that he realized none of the crew had actually seen him without his makeup when playing Pinhead and therefore did not recognize him. (laughs) That's pretty cool. God damn. I wonder if he stayed in character the whole time. I wouldn't be shocked, right? Number two. Doug Bradley was originally offered a choice of roles between one of the mattress movers and the lead Cenobite. What? He originally thought it important that as a new film actor, the audience should see his face, and he nearly turned down the lead Cenobite role. He almost went with mattress mover number two. Holy shit, would this franchise have been different? (laughs) Doug Bradley brings a, like, weird commanding presence to Pinhead that I think very few actors could pull off. Yeah, and yeah, for sure, and a subtlety that captures the kind of no-escape part of Hell. Yeah. Where it's like, I'm calm because I know I have control of you now. If this guy was running Hell, (laughs) I would be very confident that there is no escape from this place. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) He's like a Gus Fring, yeah. Yeah, he's got that cool, like... I know everything about everything, so don't try me. Kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. <sighs> Great. It'll work out worse for you if you just don't. It just cooperate. You test me, you die. No second chances. <laughs> Oof. Enforcer. Number three. Claire Higgins, Julia, hates horror movies. When she saw this movie for the first time at the premiere, she had to leave after 10 minutes because it freaked her out so much. Yeah. She has never seen the whole movie. That's awesome. I'm, it's got to, I, I, for horror, I got to imagine that if it, you're watching yourself, it's a lot freakier. Oh my God, yeah. Oh my God, especially a film like this, yeah. Number four, the word Cenobite means a member of a communal, communal religious order. The Hellbound Heart specifies they are members of the Order of the Gash. The text also refers to them as Hierophants. So they're like leaders of the Church of Hell or something. Cool. Yeah, yeah. And number five, (laughs) comedian Louis C.K. jokes that people should have to solve the Hellraiser puzzle before being allowed to text when drunk. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Oh, Louis. Let's talk a bit about the nine sequels. We won't spend a lot of time on them as we want to save them for future episodes. Yes. All nine of these sequels are in the book. We could draw them at any time. Yeah. First up, 1988's Hellbound, Hellraiser 2 often called the only decent one by some. This one sees Kirsty in a mental hospital after the events of the first film, and her doctor is an occult obsessive who uses the box to take over hell. I have seen this one. It's weird. We actually go to hell, and we get to see Clive Barker's hell, and it is, whew, it's, it's, it's a tough one to digest. <laughs> it, yeah. His hell is the scariest hell. That's the only one of the sequels I've seen. <laughs> yeah, I haven't, I haven't gone down this, this road. Next, 1992's Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth. An investigative journalist must stop Pinhead from making himself free of the box forever. Sounds kind of neat. And this one, bonkers. Next, 1996, Hellraiser Bloodline. Now we're in the 22nd century, where a scientist on a space station 
has a self-proclaimed mission to close the gates of hell forever. Why? His ancestor built the puzzle box to open the gates of hell. Mm. Of course, Pinhead is set loose in outer space five years before Jason Voorhees did it. I might have to see this one. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Pinhead in space. I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Next, 2000's Hellraiser Inferno. Now we're back in modern times. A cop is investigating a madman known as the Engineer, and inevitably, Pinhead is unleashed. This one was directed by Sinister's Scott Derrickson. Damn. Everyone has to start somewhere. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Next, 2002's Hellraiser Hellseeker. A shady businessman tries to piece together the details of a car crash that landed him in the hospital with amnesia and the demonic puzzle box in his hands. Mm-hmm. Next, 2005's Hellraiser Deader. Probably could have workshopped that a little bit. A journalist uncovers a group who can resurrect the dead, and this leads her to the box. <laughs> Next, 2005's Hellraiser Hellworld. A group of gamers playing an RPG based on the Hellraiser movies are invited to a rave party in hell. <laughs> and this one co-stars Lance Henriksen and Henry Cavill. God. Again, Unbelievable. we all have to start somewhere. <laughs> yes, yes. Jesus. Next, 2011's Hellraiser Revelations, a.k.a. the one where they stopped trying. <laughs> it, it was rushed into production after Dimension Films realized that they would lose the rights if they didn't make a sequel. So they wrote, produced, and shot the entire movie in three weeks. <laughs> Lord. Basically, two friends in Mexico find the box and unleash Pinhead, but this Pinhead is very bloated and obviously not Doug Bradley due to fans' dismay because he... <laughs> did not they were gonna pay him roughly like two three percent what he usually got and he was mm-hmm. like Clyde Barker's not involved I don't need you bye bye you know, bye Felicia so now we're left with this piece of shit I looked up some screenshots and the guy that got playing Pinhead oh has a gut God. and it's oh ridiculous no. oh no uh, well, three weeks they shot it in 11 days oh it's <laughs> not right the trend continues in the most recent sequel 2018's Hellraiser Judgment Two cops are hunting a serial killer who is definitely from hell. At least this film's pinhead looks better, just from the screenshots I'm looking at. Still not Doug Bradley. He's yeah, not no. the bloated guy either, so, you know. Someone different. <laughs> there has been a reboot in production hell for God knows how long. David Bruckner of The Ritual and VHS is set to direct, with Clive Barker involved in the writing process. No one has been cast yet, but if they want to impress fans, give Doug Bradley whatever he wants and get him back as pinhead. Clearly, he's the one Hellraiser fans are coming to see. <laughs> yeah. Craziness. Unbelievable that this franchise has lasted not uh, 10 films. One of which is in space. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Pinhead in space. One of the earlier ones. And one of which is in a video game. Yeah. What the what? fuck? What the hell? I, got, I feel like these would be fun to watch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're definitely going to, yeah, like you said, they're in the book. We're going to run into them someday. I give Hellraiser an 8. It's weird, freaky, and definitely an acquired taste, but the visuals are stunning, the characters are intriguing, and Pinhead is intimidating as fuck. So, yeah, eight. Yeah, man, it's right there. I give it an eight as well. It's close to getting up to that nine on this this rewatch. I just, yeah, pretty blown away by it. And one of, you know, it's hard to, like, rank how scary movies are, but I think it's one of the more frightening movies we've done here on Filmgasm. True. And I think it's one of the more frightening films I've seen, personally. I know there's a lot I need to check out still, always. It's, a, it's always a journey, but uh, in my 25 years <laughs> here on Earth, I, I just there's not a lot of movies that are creepier than, than Hellraiser. It's funny, because in my experience, this doesn't crack the top 10. You think so? Really? I've seen some dark shit. Let's, let's, let's hear like a couple of those. I would put Hereditary above this. I would put The Witch above this. Oh. Uh, Wow, really? Yeah, See, I, 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 I wouldn't. We just seem differently. That's Those two movies really got under my skin. They, they definitely, you know, yeah. yeah. I, mean, I love, her. I love both of them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, Eggers and and Astor. I, I like, you know, those are guys, modern guys. I like a lot. That definitely freak the shit out of me. And there's moments in Lighthouse that that really gets under my skin as far as just making me uncomfortable. But there's something about you know the, the each of the killers and the Hellraisers where they they just go to a. It's for me. I think like. Place. Gore and like really, you know, visually dis- gross things, they don't get me so much as subtlety does these yeah, days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like when things, you know, move around in the background that you're not expecting, or when mm-hmm. like a shadow, like, you know, 
moves out of out of place or something. That shit gets me way more. Than or when Tony Collette is like slowly. Yeah. Like yeah. for example, I still think Poltergeist is one of the scariest movies I've ever yeah, seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I, right. I, Poltergeist is very freaky. And that's just from little things like camera mm. tricks and stuff. So yes, it's really just comes down to less is more for me. Yeah, yeah, I, I feel that. But like, I do like Psycho. Like yeah, Psycho's freaky. But jaws. I do appreciate the uh, like what went into making a film like this. Yeah, and yeah. Like um, I, another film that freaks me out. Uh, it's obviously not in the, the same category, but like it has that practicality in that. Like the thing, there's moments in the thing where I'm like, oh my god, this is fucking gorgeous, but also freaky, and I'm just, I, I'm loving it. You yeah, know? and you love that, you love that part of it too, the makeup and the, like the work that goes into it of making a good horror film. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, in uh, I don't remember what episode it was, might have been the Mangler. It was uh, being a horror fan is like you know panning for gold. You're constantly mm-hmm. digging through dirt yeah. hoping to find a gold nugget, and Hellraiser is definitely a gold nugget. I can't speak for the sequels, but this is a just a mesmerizing work of art for horror. Yeah, and if you want to rewatch it or if you've gotten here and haven't seen it, that's weird, but it's on Hulu right now. It's been <laughs> on Hulu for a long time. I don't, yeah. see it, I don't see it leaving. So The first two are on Hulu. So, yeah. Check it out. And that brings us to the second installment of the movie draft, which we had so much fun with last week. This week we're doing films from 1987, since that's the year Hellraiser was released, and I'll let Austin take the reins from here. Oh, man, I'm loving this, the drafts, because of the realization of how many films you and I have seen in the same years. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, last week we got to do, you know, just a powerhouse year in 2019 where combined we had seen together 53 films. Uh, 1987's a little different. We've both seen 20 <laughs> together. That's not how many I've seen. That's not how many you've seen. You've seen a little over 30, and I've seen, I think, 27 altogether from that year. Um and there's some favorites of yours that aren't here, and there's some favorites of mine that aren't here. That's not the point of it, though. The point is to draft from the movies we've both seen, that we both have an opinion on, and can kind of figure out who has a better grouping. Uh, this is an interesting year. We both have, I think, both have some favorites here, right? Oh, yeah. Where, you know, there's some stuff that stands out. Uh, do, do you want to flip for the first pick, or what do you want to do here? You do the honors, my friend. All right, well, that, that makes it easy for me, because I'm going to take Stanley Kubrick's masterpiece, Full Metal Jacket. <laughs> Full Metal Jacket. <laughs> so that'll be the first pick at a... Last week we did uh, categories because we had so many films. We did them through genres. Yeah. So, for instance, uh, for action, we had John Wick Chapter 3 and uh, Triple Frontier. So I got John Wick and you got Triple Frontier. Here in 1987, we, there's not enough, really, for... To do a genre thing. So we're just doing five each. That's that's yeah. just how it's going to be. So you go ahead with your first pick, man. Uh, first things first, I'll, I'll re- I'd like to read out the movies. The oh, selections. yeah, the pool. Yeah, 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 of course. It's only 20. Yeah. So we have The Princess Bride, Full Metal Jacket, Spaceballs... The Lost yes. Boys, Predator, The Running Man, RoboCop, The Untouchables, Hellraiser, Lethal Weapon, Fatal Attraction, Empire of the Sun, Evil Dead 2, mm. Raising Arizona, mm. Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, mm. Near Dark, Good Morning Vietnam, La Bamba, Moonstruck, and Creep Show 2. Yes. <laughs> and I am going to take Raising Arizona. Fuck. <laughs> All right. I figured that would happen. Uh, we love the Coen brothers. <laughs> And we love Stanley Kubrick. That's a good pick. I'll be taking those huggies and whatever cash you got. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm going to go my second pick uh, because this movie makes me laugh second after Raising Arizona. It's going to be Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Ah, that's a, that's a good one. It's very funny. John Candy, man, is, you know, he's the real article. What you see is what you get. <laughs> oh, boy. Give me... Mm, give me Predator. Oh, good pick, good pick. This is a fun year right here. We got some some horror, we got some vampire shit, we got some sci-fi. Um, all right, so my third pick. This is tough. You know what? Give me Hellraiser. All right, nice. Just spent right. an hour talking about how much we liked this. Yeah, you know, I, I in Full Metal Jacket, Planes, Trains, and Hellraiser, I got a very different group here. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> and I am going to snake the Princess Bride. Oh. <sighs> gonna be able to steal that later oh i knew I, yeah one of my favorite movies of all time okay fuck i have all tens so far oh a, a, for for your personal yeah personal yeah absolutely that's awesome <laughs> um i'm gonna i'm gonna I, I think this is probably what you're gonna take next good morning vietnam i wasn't but good pick i love that movie good uh, morning vietnam uh you know we've we talked about um robin williams at great length on our uh one of our recent oscar sunday episodes 
we talked about Dead Poet Society, and you know, to have a back to back like that with Good Morning Vietnam oh my God. <laughs> and Dead Poets, and then Birdcage. You know, this guy was just the fucking king. Oh yeah, for sure, man. For my fourth, I am taking Evil Dead Two. I yeah, I, you had to right. Yes, you had to. This is tough. This is my this is this is my last pick here, and there's there's some good movies here. There's a movie you and I saw in theaters together here. Yes, there is. Fuck, this is a hard last pick. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm actually gonna go with I, I I don't know I might regret this, but I'm gonna go with a past film gasm episode and go Near Dark. Near Dark. Okay. I definitely am more partial to Near Dark than Lost Boys. That's for sure. Yeah, I think me too. For my last pick, I'm going to take The Untouchables. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Had to be taken. So that would leave out Spaceballs, which we saw in theaters together. Yeah. The Lost Boys. The Running Man. (laughs) Robocop. Mm. Lethal Weapon. Fatal Attraction. Ah, man. Empire of the Sun. Yeah. La Bamba, Creepshow 2, and Moonstruck. Those are the ten that were left. And so my five, Full Metal Jacket, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, Hellraiser, Good Morning Vietnam, and Near Dark. And I had Raising Arizona, Predator, The Princess Bride, Evil Dead 2, and The Untouchables. Oof. (laughs) What stands out for my group? Obviously Full Metal. Full Metal Jacket. Honestly, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles stands out the most from you. That's such a personal film to to me. I watch it every Thanksgiving. I love it. And, uh, yeah, but you have Raising Arizona. Yes. So if we're going comedy, <laughs> you beat me there. I beat you with the Princess Bride. Also, that's a hilarious. How about comedy. how about horror? Uh, I have you beat hands down with horror. I have Predator and Evil Dead too. Yeah, yeah. I, I I like I like Hellraiser a lot. To those Near Dark doesn't really hold a candle to those, but I think Hellraiser has a conversation to be in that group. They could, yeah. And then Good Morning Vietnam. Good Morning Vietnam's a great. And then what would yeah. then what would be your other one? Uh, The Untouchables. Yeah. So you got so like. I would say Good Morning Vietnam and Untouchables are kind of battling each other. <laughs> and then we got Near Dark and Hellraiser battling your Predator and Evil Dead. And Evil Dead. <laughs> and then we got Full Metal Jacket battling what was your first pick? Raising oh, Duck. Yeah. Raising Arizona. Raising Arizona. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is tough. Owens versus Kubrick. This is tough. Boy. <laughs> I like both groups a lot. I definitely Near Dark's my least my the the worst movie of my group. But I don't know if you have a worse movie. I don't. I have all tens. For you, for <laughs> personal me, tens, yes. for me, if I had to give them, if I had to give them ratings, I'm trying to think what my favorite. Untouchables is a nine, though. Yes. Raising Arizona is a ten. Oh yeah, and forever. That's, That's my favorite movie in your group. That, this is hard, man. <laughs> I wonder what the listeners think. About, I wonder about these groups. I wonder if they thought we should have picked a movie that we didn't pick. Maybe. Um, I almost went with Spaceballs. Yeah, that's hilarious. A, a favorite of mine. But you already had two pretty funny movies. Yeah, I didn't want to go all comedy. And I couldn't leave Evil Dead 2 in the wind. It's yeah. one of my favorites. I've seen that on the big screen twice. Yeah. Once of which was in the woods with Bruce Campbell. I have yeah, to so, take that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, RoboCop is awesome, but I haven't seen it in a long time. So I don't want to... I'm not, I'm not super into it, yeah. yeah. Running Man is goofy as fuck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Lost Boys, I don't think holds up. It's all right. Empire of the Sun, I fucking hated. Yeah, not, not very good. Fatal Attraction is great. I love Fatal Attraction. Yeah. But I wasn't sure how you felt about it. Fatal Attraction is a masterpiece. I think it's one of the smartest horror films ever made. Mm-hmm. I think Glenn Close is fucking terrifying. Yeah. And it is the... I mean, I was, I'm not the kind to ever want to have an affair anyways, uh-huh. but, you know, I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't, yeah. Cheat on your, don't cheat on your wife. Yeah. <laughs> or that shit's going to happen. Exactly. Crazy movie. <laughs> Crazy movie, yeah. Um, that's a wild one. Yeah, for sure. Lethal Weapon, again, I haven't seen in a long time, so I don't know if it still holds yeah. up. Yeah. La Bamba was good, but kind of forgettable. Creepshow 2 is god-awful, except for the uh, the raft. Yeah. And Moonstruck is cute, but again, I didn't want all comedy. Yeah. So so I, I think I think by default you win, because you have, you have all 10s in your cat. And for me, even personally, I don't have a way to... <laughs> Full Metal Jacket's a 10. Planes, Trains, I'd probably give an, an 8 or a 9. Hellraiser, eight or nine. Good Morning Vietnam, nine. And Near Dark, eight. So, personally, I mean, I, I, I don't feel that way personally about... I, I probably feel similarly about your group. Yeah. But you feel very strongly oh, yeah. about yours. 87's a big year of 80s, some of my favorite movies. 80s is your decade. The 80s yeah. is my decade, hands yeah. down. Yeah. <laughs> it's tough to, tough to lose to me well, in the that 80s. Was, that was fun. Is there any 87 movies that I haven't seen that you think I need to see? 
Um, off the top of my head, no. But let me do a quick. Sh- I'll, I'll throw you one while you're looking. Yeah. Um, there's a film directed by Robert Townsend, uh, Hollywood Shuffle. Oh yeah, I remember that one. Unbelievable movie. Fantastic stuff. <laughs> uh, and if you want to like watch a black director from yeah. the '80s that people have just seemingly forgotten about. Yeah. When they're looking for black creators to watch and writers and directors, Townsend's one of the best. So, so you haven't seen The Witches of Eastwick? I have not. Do you know anything about that movie? I do, I do. Yeah, I do. <laughs> it's the one where Jack Nicholson plays the devil. Yeah, I need to see it. Yeah, of, course. <laughs> of course. It's it's fucking hilarious. I need to see every Jack Nicholson movie. Yeah. Though. Yeah. That movie specifically, though, is really funny because it's so bizarre and it's really just like, I mean, he's having sex with these three women who are witches and they don't know and then they find out and they fuck him over. Uh. But it's the devil. <laughs> so it's Jesus. it's crazy. His name is Daryl Van Horn. Perfect. <laughs> Daryl. Yeah, it's great. It's a very underrated 87 uh, work of art, I think. Um, I think Harry and the Hendersons. Oh, I, yeah, I, I know, really I know. couldn't believe that wasn't in the pool. I know. Like the only movie ever made about Bigfoot. I've seen some of it. I haven't seen the whole thing. I, I want to put all movies I've seen all, all the way through. Yeah, and, of course. Yeah. That's a favorite of my childhood. It, it freaked me out as a kid because I lived in the woods and it looked like there could be a Sasquatch walking through. I had a real problem with Bigfoot as a kid. And that movie made me feel a little bit better about it. Yeah. So I love that movie. The Living Daylights. Great Bond flick. Dalton's uh, first film. Uh, Monster Squad. Why wasn't Monster Squad in there? Oh, I have seen that. We did that on the show. Yeah. <laughs> did you send that to me? I think so. I must have just missed that. I must have just been reading it. Shit. Because I, I was, I probably, I, I wouldn't have taken it. I realized, I just realized, I like, we did that. I would, if I, if I didn't draft, uh, if I didn't draft um, some of those other ones, yeah, I don't think I would have taken that one. Oh, well. I wonder if I missed any other ones. Or <laughs> if I missed anything from 2019. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, we had enough that year. We did, yeah. <laughs> Throw Mama from the Train is funny. Mm-hmm. It's weird, and uh, it's a very cool, dark comedy. Yeah. Wouldn't have probably made it into any of our draws. I like House of Games a lot, too. Yeah, I wanted to see that one. House of Games is cool. Elm Street 3, you can leave aside. I'm, I, I'm all right. Yeah, I'm all right on that. I, 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 The first one doesn't even really work totally on me, so, yeah, it's tough. <laughs> Overall, pretty good. I wonder what we'll be doing... Uh, for our next draft, we we're gonna do it. Uh, we we'll try to do it for the uh, the year that whatever the movie we're doing is. Yeah, here on Filmgasm. So yeah, Hellraiser was eighty seven, so we did eighty seven, and uh, yeah, we're just gonna kind of do these sporadically whenever yeah. we feel like doing them. It's just a fun last little piece to leave you with before we go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll talk about a little bit more cinema, you know, from the year. Wonderful. Yeah. And uh, thanks for listening. Had a great time doing Hellraiser. That was a good one. Hell yes. Thank you to the book. Next week, we are once again joining forces with Josh Allred for a 1984 cult classic that comes to us from Troma Entertainment. When mop boy Melvin falls into a vat of toxic waste, he emerges as a monstrous new hero known as the Toxic Avenger. It's Josh's personal pick next Wednesday. We'll see you there. And if you find a demonic-looking puzzle box, chuck that thing in the river before you end up getting ripped apart by the dominatrix from hell. Thank mm-hmm. you.